0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 223. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and with me once again is my semi-permanent co-host, who is more permanent than semi-permanent these days, Jay Presticelli. He is the CEO of Zega Financial. Jay, what's going on today?
1: Hey, Derek. Surprise. I wasn't supposed to be here, but we, we got it in right before uh, I'm taking off next week. So I'm happy to be here. At episode 223, which, by the way, is a prime number. I know you love it when I Google that, but just in case you wanted to know, it's a prime number.
0: Does that mean markets are going up or down tomorrow? Do we know? By the time people listen to this, I mean, it's Thursday, we're taping this. uh, So you can just tell us. And if we're wrong, nobody
1: would have been able to act on it anyway, right? So Yeah, I mean, I'm not allowed to tell you. That's the only downside.
0: Okay. Well, what I am allowed to tell everyone is: last week we touched on the whole idea of everyone wants to buy a home, and there are really good reasons to buy a home. There are reasons not to buy a home, and this whole you know renting versus owning. Uh, I did find the graph. It's it's where is home ownership premium the highest, and I think what they did here. Who did this? I, it's kind of float. Uh, This is a source says Redfin Home Value and Rental Estimates in Freddie Mac. Uh, I don't know who put this together, though. So anyway, it's they look at the analysis assumes a 5% down payment and 6.5% mortgage rate. And Jay, what it tells us is all of four out of, I don't know how many of these are, uh, only four of them, but the majority are saying that there is a ownership premium. And I think what that means is, what Jay? It's if like for like, like I
1: right, cost you more to own to buy the house with that criteria, right? Five percent down, six nine percent mortgage, than to rent, right? So you're right. There's four cities where it there is not a premium, and I will I will call those cities out uh, where it makes more sense to finance i guess the the numbers work better for you to buy versus rent and those cities are houston that's actually a pretty pretty good city houston right for our houston listeners then cleveland philly and detroit so i could see why philly would qualify because who's who's gonna buy in philly i'm kidding for any philadelphia listeners derek and i are new york jive fans and so any chance i get to bash philly i will But only those are the four cities where uh, it actually makes more sense to buy than to rent right now, which is interesting. There's some of these cities, it's a humongous premium, right? The extra cost.
0: Give us some examples, Jay, and kind of explain how much the premium really is.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, let's just – I'm going to take the middle of the road. I think this is probably 50, uh, 50 markets, right? Let's just take kind of the middle of the road here uh all right well let's take Nassau county new york that is in long island i believe and uh the premium i mean it costs you more somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 percent more 80 percent more not yeah so if you're spend 80 percent more to buy and to rent so if your rent was you know a thousand dollars it's saying to buy that same space was $1,800, right? When I look at that number, that's what 80% more means. Does that make sense to you, Derek, on this chart?
0: Yeah, I'm looking at where Nassau County, and it it is in uh, Long Island. Uh, I've been to Nassau County and have friends who live in Nassau County and still still do. Uh, The way I read this, okay, so they have the ownership premium at, I'd say, around 30%, but then you go off to the right, share cheaper oh, rent
1: 30. sorry yes you're right 30
0: yeah so i think what it means is you can tell folks we don't record this or edit it is <laughs> the share <laughs> that's the cheaper that's to rent.
1: being nice like jay you're a moron thank you for no it's it's on. not
0: i think what they're saying is like over 80 percent um share of the inventory i guess i don't know or whatever it is it's it's cheaper only like 15 percent is cheaper to buy than to rent and then you have that that ownership premium but jay nassau is not even the the
1: biggest one right oh not even close i picked the middle right if you get to the top of this i can at least read top to bottom derek so thank you for giving me a chance to redeem myself here san jose california over 150 percent premium uh Over-renting, owning, over-renting. San Francisco, about 140. Oakland, California, 100. Anaheim, California, looks like 90. Seattle, 90. LA, maybe that's 80. San Diego, 75. Hey, there's a lot of California on this list, Erica. Those are the top ones that I just rattled off. Interesting. Denver's up there.
0: It's a sample size of one street, but where I live in Scottsdale, I can tell you I continue to see or a lot of people who are newer to this area came from California because they can sell their house for much more there, uh, come over here, pay much less than taxes, much less than property taxes, buy cheaper, and for any you know any number of reasons they've they've come here so you don't have the water here, we don't have an ocean in, unless you know California drops off. For they always, you know, that was the joke for a while. At some point, we'll have beachfront property because California is earthquake prone. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, I I think that the the thing. Let's bring this back to people and and to people who are uh, and we know in our audience we have individual investors, we have individual people, we have uh, institutions, we also have advisors who listen to us. And it's, I think it's the discussion about whether you should buy or rent is, is sort of, you know, you have to take this into account and there's any number of reasons why you want to buy, you want to have a home. But we showed last week, Jay, that the thing that nobody talks about is when interest rates are above 7%, which I've seen now in 30 year mortgages, each payment that you're making, you're only paying a really small amount to your principal, Jay, right? So it's almost like you know. Oh, I don't want to throw money away renting, but then again, you're you're basically you know your interest in your rent is sort of the same thing. Um, so you pay the bank
1: first, right? That's yeah. the way those payments are organized. Yeah, sure.
0: Where do, where does Florida? So I see Miami has has a little bit of a premium, but West Palm is and Fort Lauderdale. So
1: we're almost break even. Like we're right there, right? We're almost. To t- kind of a coin toss for West Palm and Lauderdale. You're right. Miami has a premium almost as much as Phoenix, right? I see your Phoenix, you mentioned where you are. It's like a 25%. And I know it's not exactly where you are, but yeah, Miami, a little bit of a less than Phoenix. So interesting that uh, uh, Florida and Texas end up being on the bottom of that list. Interesting.
0: What else is interesting this week, Jay, is... Can I, it's not a rant. Maybe it is a little bit. I'm seeing a lot of stuff. I always see these articles. Well, you know, I have to do it. So. No,
1: you, you got you got to let it out, man.
0: Yeah. Well, this was uh, an article. It was how inflation and higher interest rates have reshaped car buying. So this is the most obvious headline ever. It's, of course, when you have inflation, meaning prices go up and you have interest rates going up that people's ability to buy cars or their costs go higher. Like, But here's, here's the thing that I look in here, and it's the quote. With a typical subprime auto loan rate of 17.9%, the monthly payment on a $43,200 loan for a new vehicle would be $983 a month. That compares to $720 a month, for a buyer with a top credit score of 6.2%. So I look at this and I'm reminded of the Rolling Stones song. You can't always get you what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. Like if 17.9% and a $43,000 car loan is too much, nowhere in the article says, well, just buy it. You don't need a $43,000 car. Maybe you should look at a lower price car. Like that's, I don't know. I think it's crazy. Have you gone shopping lately for a car? I have not. Not in 15 years, Jay. What am <laughs> I missing here? What am I missing? Like, what, what do it's I get for- buying
1: buy a car for less than $43,000 these days. Is it? Really Is it really? New. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's definitely. Unless, you know, you want to buy like a 10-year-old car, right? Like- my that's my pushback on that comment that you have like yes maybe you don't have to spend 43 but have you have you looked at what you know your jeep costs new these days right mm. it's a lot mm. and it's a jeep although they have improved jeeps over since i think do you still have yours by the way No, i right. do the Sorry.
0: 2008 yeah, um, yeah lifetime uh, transmission yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah all right well yeah. i'm gonna they push made them much nicer since we bought ours
0: All right. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm looking right now. I I pulled up CarMax. And uh, if they want to sponsor the show, I'll consider it for a very hefty sum. But uh, 2021, 50,000 mile uh, Honda CR-V EX. I'm not that familiar with the car. $27,000. You know, could you do, is that an okay car? Uh, Ford Fiesta SE. They'd still make Fiestas 2012, 105,000 miles, $11,500. You know, I don't know if how an long old will car. Last. it's an old car, but I mean, I just told you one, a 2021 Honda CR-V EX, $27,000.
1: I don't know where this, I'm going to look at, see right here. I don't know where that is. I don't know you're buying a two-year-old car for $27,000, but okay, if you say so.
0: I'm on Carmax's site. This is uh oh, this is CarMax Phoenix West Valley.
1: I'm sure those car salesman sites would always be honest with you. I'm sure it's exactly you know what
0: Carma no, Carmax, there's no haggling. You just go there and the price is the price. They give you a price for your trade in. And I I think you're probably paying more than you would on a private party, but I don't know. I mean, I'm just telling you, like I just told you forty three thousand dollars, seven point nine percent. Would they be better off with a twenty-seven thousand dollar, fifty thousand mile to twenty-one Honda CRV? Yeah, I have no idea what this car is even. I mean, I'm looking at pictures right now. All right,
1: I. Yeah, my point I, of listen, all this, I would love for, for I would love for people to send in their comments and tell you what they paid for their most recent car purchase, if it's been, in, say the last year. I'm I looking at CarMax's it. site now. You know, I mean, no I'm you. Nobody's buying that car. It's it's a lost leader. No one's buying that car here's a Camry
0: 14,000 miles 2022 Toyota Camry SE. I don't know what the SE stands for. Uh something excellent maybe? I don't know. $30,000. <laughs> I mean, I'm just telling you there's there's cars on here. There's a Chevy Cruze from 2015. I'm going to this is the last one I'll tell you. Uh yeah, I mean this this one's available in in the Phoenix area. It must know my my location cuz it keeps giving me Phoenix area. It must know.
1: Maybe yeah. the cars are cheaper there, but I'm telling you that's I don't know of anybody buying cars at that price, especially, well, you know, car prices, especially used car prices have definitely been on the rise. And you know this, right? When you look at the inflation data and, uh, you know, I think it's great that there are some listed there. I just don't think that's what people are paying for cars.
0: All right. Well, cars though are, I mean,
1: Yeah. Well, let, let's move on. You can on. always find something cheaper, Derek. But, like, who knows what's the, what the deal is with those things, right? And there, you know how that goes with the the loss leaders to get people to go in.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. I'm going like, to
1: shenanigans on all those. I don't know. I'm, please send in <laughs> – please, everybody, comment on what you paid for the last car and, you know, help uh, help us get real.
0: Yeah. Let's get some let's real data. Send those, send those emails to Derek.Moore at – Zegafinancial.com, D E R E K dot M O O R E, at Z's and Zebra E's and A G's and George A's and Apple. Financial is up to you to spell correctly com. All right, we'll wait for that mail. I look forward to it. Uh, what I want to transition to, Jay, are this was Tobias Carlisle had put this out on Twitter, and it's referencing a Wall Street Journal article where the M score. Uh, which is signs of accounting fraud, are rising. And what they're saying is that anytime this gets up there, we tend to have a recession. Although on this graph, there was no recession after 2012. It got up close to uh, 0.5%. For anyone who's wondering what is an M score, uh, I'm probably mispronouncing this gentleman's name, but Masad D. uh, Beanish, Indiana University, came out with the M score. And it's a way of, I guess they look at companies and uh, different metrics in their financial reports, and they try and see when it's more likely or not likely that there's fraud. Uh, And I I don't think we're we're saying necessarily we know of any fraud or anything like that, but the, the M score is higher. But I will say, and I'll link to this in the show notes, there was an article about companies juicing profits and by juicing profits by totally acceptable accounting standards. Like uh, I think they mentioned, Google said, you know, our servers are going to last longer. So that, that changes how much you have to take in depreciation. So your profits go up. Uh, I don't know, Jay, any, any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I have heard of the M score before and I have seen it circulate in the past. I feel like it doesn't take into consideration things like change in tax code and uh you know the the you know all of the small business filings versus large business, what you can write off, those kinds of things. Like those things change over time. And so, you know, I know this data that that we share that you've got here goes back to nineteen eighty. Things are very different, right? So, you know, fraudulent accounting practices is I just think it's a hard thing to kind of gauge then tie it to where, you know, tie it to the market. I'm kind of, I'm kind of meh on this one, buddy. Sorry. I, I'm, I'm going to put it in the hard to, hard to tie it to anything category.
0: Yeah. I'm probably right there with you. I hate to say we agree, but we do. And, and the wall street journal article I'll I'll link to in the show notes, they make the point that some companies are reallocating costs, unwinding charges, delaying depreciation, using non-traditional ways to boost the bottom line you can read that uh if you go to in the show notes um yeah i don't know there there was an interesting thing though you know you and i so i'm going to i'm going to go to our next topic and that's this idea of companies that get into the top 10 weighted basket of the S&P 500 so Apple is the the biggest market cap. So, market cap is the share price times the number of shares. And I think Med Faber put out something on Twitter. Uh, he runs some different funds. He hosts a podcast as well. And what he put out was actually Jay. You want to take us through this one?
1: Uh, yeah. So the uh, I'm looking at which one of these you're you're referencing here. Is it the the average annualized outperformance? Yeah, that one, yep. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, so essentially when uh, the years before uh, companies get into the top 10 or considered in the top 10, their performance is fairly strong. Like three years before, the average return is 24%, five years, 19, and 10 years, 10%. So essentially, as these companies um, have higher, higher performance, and then they get into the top 10, their performance after that is lackluster at best right v- virtually flat 3 years later 0.7% so not even 1% right uh, 5 years later negative 0. 0.6 10 years later negative 1.5 and essentially what it's saying is hey once companies really kind of get into this top 10 and eh, they don't do so much uh, they don't do so well afterwards Um, And it looks like this is research from 1927 through 2020. So it's a a little dated here, uh, but I do think it's interesting that we've all heard kind of the law of large numbers. But I will. uh, So I'll pause there, Derek, if you wanted to comment on anything there before we, you know. Hit the data up a little bit.
0: I mean, to get into the top 10 companies in in the U.S., you sort of have to do really well before you get in the top ten. So, I guess in some some ways it's not surprising. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I and also this is it doesn't necessarily say the the S and P 500. This is total U.S. market. And my when I initially saw this, I said, "Well, yeah, take a company like Tesla who gets into the S and P 500 after they're huge. They came in as a top ten company." But no, this is just the U.S. market, Jay. So I don't know. I mean, I think you, of course, you have really good performance to get to the top ten.
1: Yeah, of course, right. But I think the question, or what they're trying to, I mean, and I and I know why you decided to pull this this stat for the for the discussion today. But and we'll get to that in a second. But you know, to get there, you have to perform well. And then the, this graphic would tell you, like, ah, once they're in there, they don't. Perform so well, but I feel like we're in a different age with the trillion dollar market cap companies. Right. Apple broke that. Uh, Amazon did it. Uh, right. So when you when you when you, you know, I, I mean, an Apple now is over two trillion, I believe, uh, pressed towards a new high today. Uh, we're getting closer to a new all time high in Apple. Uh, yeah. So like, which is it, which can we just use that as kind of the, uh, uh, the the poster child as to why this data may or may not be relevant anymore? Do it. Right. Apple, Apple was in the top 10 in the 2010s. Derek, you were nice enough to kind of pull a list of kind of the top 10 largest companies by market cap by decade. Um, so you've got like 1980 where you had IBM and AT&T and t as the top ones, GE was in there too. Exxon is in there. That's interesting uh, because then you take a look at 1990, everything kind of changes, right? It's all Japanese, uh, a lot of Japanese companies that are in there in the 1990s. IBM still in the top 10 though. Exxon still in the top 10. Okay. The only two US companies that are in the top 10 world's largest. Then you get to the 2000s, back to a lot of American companies. Microsoft, GE's back in that list. Walmart makes it in. Uh, Exxon's still in there. Oh, okay. Exxon's still in. So Exxon's been in now for the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Jump to to the 10s, 2010s, and Exxon's the number one company. Apple's now in there. Microsoft is in there. Uh, It is a little more uh, diversified list. There's some now Chinese companies that are in there. PetroChina is in there. ICBC is in there. It uh, looks like there's a bank from China that's in there. Okay, and then you jump to the 2020s, and you've got almost all American companies: Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook, Tesla. Burke is in there. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like Exxon fell out of that list now for the you know the that uh, the most recent. But I guess you know when you look at like an Apple and Microsoft, and you look at Exxon, you look at GE. Sometimes companies get in the top ten and stay in the top ten for quite a while it's not you know the kiss of death of getting into the top 10 and then you're just dead money that to me i would say you know a little bit of a stretch there right to say that's always the case because we've got some evidence where they stay in the top 10 and by the way the markets grew right through a lot of those periods so those companies grew along with it to stay in the top 10.
0: Don't, what do you think indexing has had the effect of, of indexing and i i bring this up because if the market, you know, people are keep buying, and if you're already in the the top 10, and if people keep going into the index, you're going to keep getting flows into your stock. I mean, don't you think that is one of the differences maybe of the era today than it was? I mean, it wasn't until the late 1970s when Vanguard came out with uh, index mutual funds that really things changed. And it wasn't until the early 90s until we had the spiders. You know, SPY was created, and that was revolutionary at the time
1: people forget that so don't you think that plays a role well sure and you look where all the a lot of fund flows go these days it is into you know funds etfs and mutual funds more etfs these days than mutual funds i think so but yes and then and a lot of them hold the you know the the stocks that have momentum right and of course right so it's you know maybe somebody's not actually buying you know meta Facebook, but they're buying it when they're buying the index, right? And you own a piece of that. So I think that's definitely a piece of it. I also think that, um, you know, the the world, it's just, I mean, I shouldn't even comment on this one. This might be a whole nother time, uh, another discussion, but it's just so much easier now to buy the products you like and love by yourself, uh, right? With the advent of, uh, you know, I came from the online broker- brokerage space, but it's even easier now, right? The Robinhood, The hoods of the world are making it even easier and more convenient for everybody to buy shares of what they use and like. And when you look at the companies that I rattled off, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook, Tesla, you know, those are companies that a lot of people used every single day. So the fact that they show up is not surprising to me in the top 10.
0: You look today and Google has two places in the top 10. But interestingly enough, now I asked, uh, I had to do a little AI, Jay. You know, I love it. And uh, I use BARD, Google, for this because it seems as far as data, you can look at a current data set, you know. So I asked it, give me the top 10 today. Uh, It gave me nine. Okay, whatever the reason. (laughs) And it's actually eight because Google is listed twice. So I'm going to argue with BARD after this podcast. Exxon XOM is number eight. So they're they're back in the top ten. You they're look at this list. Now. Yeah, yeah they're, they're according to Bard. You know, I I haven't checked this because it's sometimes I know when the data is not right, and I did some stuff and I can't use it because I know it's not right. But just looking, I mean, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, uh, and then I got to add the two Googles together. It's three point four. So Google's actually third. Amazon's fourth. Nvidia's fifth. And Nvidia's move has been really. <laughs> I mean, it's over a trillion dollars right now. But, you know, you made the point of 2010. If we go and I look and I ask Bard, Bard's AI thing uh, to show me, you know, like uh, just the U.S. stocks, the S&P 500. And I'm I'm looking here. I mean, the 2010s, it's like, it's pretty much, I mean, Exxon was number two at the start of the, two, th- you know, in 2010. But Microsoft's still there, Amazon, Berkshire. Started at 220 i mean same stocks apple microsoft berkshire alphabet um and then look where we are today like these companies are i think you're right it's different and i don't know what these companies are going to do but i mean come on i mean it's it's like just because these companies are the biggest now doesn't mean necessarily that they they can't keep getting bigger i mean but i don't know i don't know jay
1: yep well i guess time will tell and there's always that theory, right? Once you're the biggest, you you know you won't be anymore because of the the law of large numbers. But you know that has definitely not been the case in recent years, for sure, right? The biggest have remained the biggest. By the way, it feels like the way that this market is going, with what the Nasdaq is doing, the biggest are only getting bigger.
0: No, I think that's right. By the way, why does why did uh, Google have to go and can, makes things so confusing? Come on, just list once. Could you be more specific? Why do you got to list yourself? I know it's because of the voting and all that. I don't...
1: Oh, uh, why have two tickers. Yeah, I, like, I
0: why expect. are you listed twice? Why are you going to make things difficult for everybody? Just, you know, one ticker, figure it out, Google. All right. Um, anything else on this? I would just say another chart. Also, Met Faber posted this. Source was Goldman Sachs. And they make the point that, you know, the five largest stocks in 2000, or Microsoft, Cisco, GE, um, Exxon, and Intel, and they made up the, the weight of those. Collective five stocks was eighteen percent. Today it's twenty three percent, and it's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Google, and it's other Google. So I think, and I and a lot of people would look that and say, "Oh yeah, see, you know, we wouldn't want to." Remember though, this is the weight in the S and P five hundred. If you own the S and P five hundred, we like to index. We like to hedge on that index, of course. But Jay, I mean, this is the case for indexing. As stocks do better, you own more of them,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, the index naturally, you know, will rotate and uh, have more of what's doing better. I will say that it's just so it's such a convenient way of investing, especially for the casual uh, investor, you know, who's just like, well, I know I should be saving. What should I buy? Using funds like the S and P 500 are, are really. You know, it's a great way to get that exposure. I almost, Derek, I feel like it's like the dirty little secret of our business that, you know, um, as you're, you know, trying to accumulate wealth in the early years, right, of your savings and investing, just buy an index fund, buy the S&P 500, or buy the Qs, you know, if you want to be a little more risky. Um, It's just one of those things that it makes life easy. Having an advisor like you or me Um, you know, build portfolio plans for you, you know, until your assets are of a sizable amount where they need special consideration. Does it always make sense? So, you know, I tell, you know, a lot of friends and family that come to me and say, what should I do? I go, buy the S&P. Open up an account at Schwab or TD Ameritrade or Fidelity and buy shares of the S&P 500 when you can pay yourself. It's the easiest thing to do. And the S&P just will beat 90 plus percent of managers out there. I know I've said that before on this podcast. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, the it's so convenient now to make investing simple. Now, uh, it, it, it's it's just, you should do that, right? Like, sorry if, uh, you know, financial advisors are listening and they say, why? Don't tell people not to come to us. You all know the truth. The S&P is the benchmark. Now, look, there are times where you need to take less risk. Great then you have somebody help you risk, manage your risk. There are times where you need to be more aggressive. Great, have somebody help you with that. But you know, generally speaking for investors just starting out, it's a great way to build wealth. Get over 100,000, 500,000 at that point, it may make sense. Talk to an advisor about where you wanna take your risk, fine. But this is just the best way for the novice starting, the beginner starting to invest. Use the SPY, sorry. Or a SPY equivalent, IVV, or I forgot Vanguard's one. Is it VOO? No, that's not it. I forgot the Vanguard index uh, ETF. But there you go, Derek. Sorry. I Now I went off on a rant. I'm glad you did because like we
0: didn't out. we didn't talk about this at all. But I've had people ask me, and I've honestly said to them, you don't need me yet. And the other thing I say to them is, don't and, – and I, I – Say this sarcastically, it really doesn't matter right now what you're investing in. And then I tell them the same thing you tell people. It's it's looking indexes. And the reason why I I tell people that is if there's someone who's younger and they're starting out, like you really shouldn't be that worried about the returns. And this doesn't mean that it doesn't matter what you invest in. You know, you shouldn't throw all your money in in fake. Crypto coins, and there's plenty of those to choose from.
1: <laughs> I was like, "You're going up to crypto." I felt yeah, it coming. I or just, just
0: you know, let me put all my money in in one stock that's going up right now. The reason why returns don't matter at this point well too hard. Well, that, of course, it's too hard, but it doesn't really matter. Like, if you let me, all right, let's say you have a thousand dollars in an account, you're starting out, and you get a ten percent return. Congratulations, you made a hundred dollars. Like whether you made 5% or 10%, who cares? The greatest impact that somebody is going to make when they are starting out investing before they have a lot of assets is to contribute. Like if you bring $1,000 into that same $1,000 account, you just got a 100% increase in the value of that account. That is much more valuable than getting 5% or 10% or 20%. Like it doesn't matter at this point. What you going into? Like you said, Jay, pick an index fund, pick the Q's, pick the spy, whatever. It really doesn't matter. You should be. It's and I've made this analogy before. It's like the uh, the Billy Bean stuff, the Oakland A's movie where uh, Brad Pitt plays Billy Bean, and and it's everyone's focused on the wrong things. You should be focused on growing the account, and it doesn't necessarily matter. You're not trying to outsmart the market at that point because it doesn't matter. If you get twelve percent versus twenty percent. On a thousand bucks, it's an extra eighty bucks. It doesn't matter. So I'm glad you brought that up, Jay. Me too.
1: Thanks, All right. Eric. I'm not surprised we tell no. people the same thing. About All it.
0: right, let's uh, let's pivot to a little stuff in our wheelhouse, and that's volatility. And Jay, the VIX did something it hasn't done since November of 21. What did it do, Jay?
1: Uh, the VIX
0: closed
1: down at uh, I think it was fifteen point six, fifteen point six five, at the lowest level fin- since November twenty twenty one. And what what do do we do a quick little overview on the VIX? Probably makes sense, right? The VIX is the volatility index, um, which is essentially a forward looking uh, volatility predictor, meaning how much movement is the options market pricing in. Over the next 30 days and uh the lower that number the lower the volatility is expected in the s p 500 and that number is low which means uh there's not a lot of volatility expected around the quarter volatility being you know dramatic up and down moves so what it's telling us is you'll have mild moves right a 15 vol is definitely much more mild than its average which is around 20 as a reference so even though you know there was a lot of fear baked into this year and we're just coming through the debt ceiling discussion and uh you know potential banking crisis and whatever else is on the horizon the volatility the options market is projecting not a lot of volatility over the next 30 days
0: doesn't mean anything. I, I went back and I looked at November nineteenth of two thousand twenty-one. I couldn't, you know, you know, how you when you look at a chart, Jay, and you got to move the cursor. I can't get a stop on the twenty-first, but it's close enough, close enough for government work. Okay. So, you know, right under forty-seven hundred was where the S and P was. It goes on to make a new high, a new all-time high. Uh, probably, I, I think it was that very first week. Oh, you know what this is? It's it's a weekly chart. That's why I can't get to it. But it makes it makes an all-time high very shortly after that. And thinking back to 2021, I think a lot of folks said, well, the market's not cheap. It's a little expensive, but nobody was really that worried about a crash. So the fact that it it is similar in the expectations to when the market was routing to all-time highs. I mean don't you think that's a little bit significant like what does it tell us about the 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 posture on the street and and the sentiment
1: uh so look I uh, you and I both know that the vix number by itself isn't the most important piece about it it's where it came from to get there so this dropping volatility right so the you know we were trading in the i think we had probably you know we saw 30 vix or 25 vix for parts of this year so far certainly when uh the uh uh the banking whatever we'll call it the banking crisis that uh we had back in march came we saw volatility pop there was fear in the market there were people you know willing to speculate up and down uh but you know i'm not derek i think you're you're and i think you know exactly what you're doing when you say this that that was the I think it was the peak of the nasdaq in november 2021 uh, NASDAQ's doing pretty well right now as a comparison. I don't know if there's any uh, ties there. But I would say that you can't just look at that number in and of itself as a, you know, as kind of a contrarian indicator, right? I mean, that's where a lot of folks look at the VIX as a, Oop, it's, oops, it's bottomed out. It's time for it to rise. And a rising VIX typically accompanies a falling stock market. But there's nothing that says the VIX can't go from 15 to 13, down to 12, down to 10. It happens, right? The mar- for the VIX to get down to the 10-13 range, which has some significance, uh, uh, it has to pass through 15 first to get there, right? And it was above it, and it got down to it. So, you know, I'm not going to make the the connection that a 15 VIX is the contrarian indicator that we're at the top on the market. But what I would ta- what I would say is there's not a lot of speculation either way. Like when I hear the VIX, a lot of people call it the fear indicator. I don't. I think it's more of a gauge of speculation than anything else, because you could have a lot of call buying that would also push the VIX higher. Usually, it's puts put purchases, which is uh, kind of a bearish uh, uh, a bearish position or a hedge. But I would say that this, in and of itself, doesn't necessarily mean um, that we are. You know, we're in a spot where the market has to go down and the VIX has to rebound. It could continue to go lower. So I'm not willing to make any statements that say, you know, VIX is bottomed and that is a, you know, a bearish signal on the market. I don't know if that's where you wanted me to go, but I don't think I can go there because it could go lower. It's been lower. The
0: mistake people make with the VIX is looking at a chart and looking at, you know, support and resistance levels and thinking that oh, it's got to bounce here and then it's go higher. And by go higher, it usually means the market is easing off. But I also will, I'm going to question the fact that we get the debt ceiling vote, or I guess they're going to vote in the Senate. By the time people listen to this, it will already be done. I mean, really? Did people really think the U.S. was going to default? I I mean, you and I discussed different ways they have (laughs) revenue coming in. Like they could prioritize the payments. I don't care what what Yellen said. Oh, there's no way to do that. Really? Is the government that... I mean, maybe actually the government's that disorganized that they have no way of parsing out who gets paid and what. Maybe it just is on auto payment and they can't stop it. But right, Jay? I mean, like, did they... Really? Did, would, did people really think we are going to default?
1: I don't know. I mean, I I think some people thought there was a risk. I don't think anybody in our shop thought there was a risk of that, right? Because the... Catastrophic fallout from that is just too too large, right? That is just things would change dramatically across the globe, right? If our uh, if if our if our elected officials couldn't figure out a way to get that done, uh, so yeah. Well, look, apparently the market thinks like, oh, we're going to get a resolution to the debt ceiling. That's a good thing. Uh, yeah, it is, right? The debt ceiling issue, but it's it's always been a good thing, and so to have a premium built into the market for that. Seems a little short sighted to me, right? But uh, the market went up today anyway. So there you this go. This
0: really has been a, a re rating story. You know, Jay, we talked about last year, when I say re rating, market multiple. And the market, and I think it's tied, I'm tying this into the VIX. You know, when the VIX is very low, I think it shows that people are willing to pay up for growth, pay pay up for future earnings and cash flows. And I checked the, the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets, and the forward P.E. right now is what? It's, uh, what is it, 18 times, I think? Yeah, it's about 18 times. It's above the 25-year average, which is 16.79. But I wasn't that, I mean, a little bit north of 16 for a while, or, or right around 17? So you had earnings that weren't that as bad. And the forward estimates haven't dropped that much, so people are willing to pay 18 times the next four quarters' earnings right now. I mean, we know the last two years it was a multiple compression, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and certainly with 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 having finally another alternative to put your money in treasuries, it uh, it makes it harder to have the that that PE ratio to be in this 18. Let alone, you know, who knows if we get to 20 range. Uh, so I think there's a lot of different. Uh, factors when it comes to looking at the the Ford PE and how expensive the market is. But if I could tie it back to the VIX yes. for a minute, right? I almost feel like asking Derek, what are you supposed to do when the VIX is low? What do you do when the implied volatility on options is low versus what you would normally do when implied volatility was high? What do you do as an options trader?
0: Options are cheaper, Jay. They are cheaper. Yeah, And it's one of the things we enjoy with a lot of our strategies where we're getting long the market using options as a, uh, you know, to own the market, to, to replicate participation in the market without necessarily earning, you know, owning securities. But when things are cheap, it's a better time or it's cheaper to buy and build portfolios, Jay, right?
1: Yeah, whether you're using options to you know replicate long stock or using options to hedge, the price of hedging is going to be cheaper when volatility is lower. There's less fear in the market, less speculation to the downside, so it is cheaper. You know we've used this analogy before, and I'll use it again. I don't think I've used it recently. It's almost like you know buying insurance. I'm in Florida. If there was such a thing as hurricane insurance, um, this time of year when we're just about to get to hurricane season. It's going to be a little more expensive than it would be, say, at the end of hurricane season, right? So, when the expected outlook of more volatility and risk is built into the market, then buying things like hedges, where you're using, say, long puts as hedges, that gets more expensive versus when uh, uh, the outlook is, you know, rosy, right? It's like, okay, we've made it through hurricane season. You could take your shutters off, you could put your furniture out in the yard again and uh, not worry so much. Sure, we're happy to, you know, buying insurance is cheaper because the likelihood of a payoff is less. That is something that I think is important to bring up because we talk about hedging all the time uh, on this, uh, on the program here. But I I think that, you know, looking at, you know, maybe locking in some gains uh, as the market moves higher is something that some folks might want to do. If you really thought a reversal was coming, the beauty of the low VIX, and if you're using If you're using the low VIX as kind of a guide there, the beauty of that is it's also cheaper to buy your protection at the same time while you're locking in gains because you just had some appreciation. It's one of those things that at some point it's worth talking about.
0: I think it's always worth talking about. And unfortunately, people are most interested in protecting their portfolios at the most inopportune times, the most expensive times. And it's why Jay, you wrote a book called Buy and Hedge, and what a great Father's Day gift to uh, to get people, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, get, give people the, the the gift of financial knowledge, and I think it pairs nicely with the Broken Pie Chart That's the book right. that you wrote. I think they go. At well some
0: point, together. Jay, we're going to write a, a a book together, but uh, we'll let everybody know with that we haven't started that yet. But at some point, at some point, we know the topic. We do. How's that? We know. <laughs> it's going to. Be- we know yep. the topic. All right, Jay. Uh, let's talk a little recommendations, and we'll let people. Uh, we'll let us get out of here. By the way, do we do we have to just say that? I mean, it, I think Succession, quote unquote, landed the plane really well with their series finale. What'd you think?
1: Yeah, I, th- I thought it was good. Right, I uh, you know they threw some curveballs, they, but they really stayed true to the tragedy of those characters uh, at the end, right? I mean, really, I, I would, I would call it a tragedy, right? It's, it's, well, it's entertaining, uh, plenty of comedic, uh, moments in that show. It's a tragedy. And I think the way that, uh, the way that it ended was, was fitting. I don't even want to give it away, but it's definitely worth watching and and putting in the time to get through it. They were true to the characters.
0: There was that episode where Logan had, uh, they met at the, was the last time he was on well anyway he's he's on there with the kids and he just says you I love you but you are not serious people and uh I think yeah I mean the, the kids were just they thought they were being serious but they really weren't so
1: all right Jay any any recommendations this week all right, so I started watching a show. It's got four seasons out. I'm I'm almost done with the first season. That has me laughing quite a bit. The name of the show is Brockmeyer. and uh it's it's a uh, it's a show about um uh, a baseball announcer who ends up having this, you know, very public meltdown and how, you know, uh he ends up uh, you know, finding fight, a home in a uh a fracking town in pennsylvania i think and uh it's just it's funny so the main actor is hank azaria i think that's how you pronounce pronounce his name he's jim brockmeyer but amanda pete is in it and she's hilarious i always love everything that she's in so you know something that i don't know if you've seen it but i would say uh worth uh worth taking a look all right i will and what is that on again i didn't catch that I don't think I said which one it's on. You know, I have so many of these at this point, man. I think it might be Hulu is where I'm watching it right now.
0: I found that on a, it's probably putting a lot of like cookies on the computer and everything. But if I go to justwatch.com, dot com, you can type in a, a a movie or a show, and it tells you where it's streaming and whether it's free or not, whether you have to be subscribed. Oh,
1: B-R-O-C-K. yeah, Brockmire. B R O C K. Yeah, B R O C K M I R E is the name of it, if you want to put it in. If you have that up, then we could know. I think I'm watching it on Hulu. I lose track.
0: Um, Yeah, so Brock, let's let's do uh, Brock Meyer. Let's let's see here. Brock Meyer, it's from 2017, huh?
1: Yeah, it's not that old. Right. There, no, there's four seasons, I think. I don't know if they're still doing it. I'm not through the whole thing yet. I just really started. All right, started. so yeah,
0: stream on Hulu. So there you go. Hulu's the... Uh, All right. Uh, the place, apparently if you have sling or spectrum, but I don't know what the, I mean, I know what sling is. Maybe spectrum has an online thing. I don't know. I don't know, but there you go. Uh, my recommendation, I'm going to actually go back to 2018 and, uh, my, so my uh, new mission impossible is coming out and my son wants to go see it in the movie theater. And he thought it was actually coming out June 12th. I believe it's coming out July 12th. So he was disappointed when I told him it's not until July. But he watched every Mission Impossible movie. And, you know, looking at Mission Impossible Fallout and Ghost Protocol, I, I, that's a double recommendation this week, Jay. I think both of those are really quality. I don't know if you've seen those.
1: I uh, I have. I haven't seen uh, the new one. Uh, I think it was right because it's not out yet. But I would see it. I've I've seen... There's three of them, right? who's there four? Six. This one? Is this one number? There's six of them, I think. Oh, all right. Then I haven't yeah. seen them all. So, uh, Tom Cruise movies, yep. right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would definitely watch that one. And they're good in the theaters, right? It's a lot of action. They go through a lot of uh, a lot of great lengths to uh, to provide pretty good action. So, yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good movies. I seen them
0: all. People have told me to watch the new Schwarzenegger on Netflix. So they did a, a play on titling and they said they made him the chief action officer, which I guess is him saying, I want the more action now, you know, that type of stuff. But he, no, it's, it's absolutely terrible. awful. I'm sorry to the Austrian audience. <laughs> uh, so keep listening. I won't do that again. And, uh, but people told me it's pretty good. So I may have to check that out, but I don't know. I don't know. We met him. I don't know if you were you were there, but we were on the on back in the day we used to travel all over the place, and he was at a hotel where a bunch of us were doing uh an investment uh speaking thing, and he couldn't have been nicer uh he he was you know shook people's hands you know agreed to get in a picture with everybody and so uh yeah I, I good things to say about Schwarzenegger in my one interaction with him, so there you go.
1: Well, good. Well, look, if you're I will throw one more out as a little bonus uh, as we're talking about things that are kind of coming up is uh, if you're an uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia fan. I think June 7th, the first two episodes of the new season will come up. So while I previously bashed Philly, I do think one of the greatest things related to that city is that show. I've been watching it since it came out in 05 and they're still putting out new seasons. Always entertaining for me. Now, I've, I've really kind of like uh, showed my lowbrow humor with Brockmire and Sonny, but uh, there you go. It's coming All up. All right, yeah. I, I, I know I will watch that. Philly
0: has, uh, if you like Philly cheesesteaks, Jim's Steaks is my favorite of the ones. I, didn't, I think it's better than Gino's, and I think one of them closed down. Remember that it was that building with the two of them? I thought one of them changed hands or closed down. I don't know, though.
1: Yeah, I think in 2020 there were some shakeups there. So does Jim's do the Cheese Whiz or American or Provolone? Well, you gotta do Cheese Whiz, right? Yeah.
0: Now, you, if you say Wit Provolone, they'll give you a, you know, but it's it's Wit Whiz or Wit Provolone is the way they say it, and it's it's kind of like uh, you know if you take too long to order, you ask too many questions, you get looked at a little strange there in Philly. So be prepared.
1: No, yeah, suit no for you. Suit for you
0: exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I got nothing against uh, Philly, the, C- uh, the, the city. I've been there a bunch of times and been to the baseball stadium. And uh, but yeah, as New York Giant fans, just can't root for the Eagles. I'm sorry, can't do it. Can't do it.
1: Well, oh, they got our number. Hopefully this year they're not as good as last year. Which They'll they probably be
0: just as good, and next week will be just as good as well in this podcast. So Jay, thanks again for coming on and entertaining us this week. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll have you back again. I think you, you, made, you did enough today to get, get, earn another spot, Jay. So congratulations. All yeah. right. Enjoy without me next week. <laughs> All right. See you, everyone. Take care.